Welcome to another episode of Ghibli Jabber. I'm Nick, and I'm here with... Trevor. On each episode of Ghibli Jabber, we discuss one of the works of Japanese film studio Studio Ghibli through the eyes of a fan, that's me, and a newbie, that's Trevor. This week we're discussing Miyazaki's final film to date, 2013's The Wind Rises. Like the four or five films prior, this was touted as Miyazaki's last film. He's currently working on another film, How Do You Live? But more than any others to date, this feels like a fitting swan song. The movie's plot combines the real-life stories of two men, mostly focusing on Jiro Horikoshi, designer of fighter aircraft used by Japan during World War II. The film also references the novel The Wind Has Risen, in which author Tetsuo Hori wrote about his experience with his fiancée before she died from tuberculosis. However, despite being based on the lives of other men, this film feels deeply personal to Miyazaki, touching on Miyazaki's love of aircraft and flight, the futility of war, and the nature of obsession and perfection that has driven his career. Trevor, if this was truly Miyazaki's final film, would you be satisfied with it as a kappa to a long and successful career? Uh, no, it wouldn't be. Um, I think it's one of his least effective films. I think that I'm happy that, like you said, it feels like um, it's, it's a film that he's always wanted to make. It's something that we've talked about when you even brought up the idea of this podcast with me of like his fascination with flight and just like the imagery containing flight. And this was his first film where it felt like, I mean, other than Poco Rosso, but that this is the first film where it felt like it was actually like a love letter to flight. And um, I mean, cause the whole entire film is about a person who's obsessed with flight and a desire to a be a pilot and then realizing he's never going to be able to be a pilot and so he pivots to this desire to design, um, you know, some of the best flying machines or planes, aircrafts um, known to man. And so I understand that desire to do so. And I, you know, I'm certain he felt very satisfied making this, but the film in and of itself was, I I would have to go back and look at all my ratings and we'll probably do that in my retrospect, in the, in the retrospective, but I think it's my least favorite Miyazaki film in and of itself. Um, or at least one of them, uh, for many reasons. Um, there, there's for this, reasons like, which are myriad. Yeah, there are many reasons, and I'm going to touch on them. Oh, um, <laughs> one of them, first and foremost, and you, I don't know the cultural standpoints in Japan and their and their uh, their viewpoints. World War II. Um, I kind of afterwards was curious about Miyazaki. So I read up on his and, you know, we, we've played with the idea of war a lot and he always says very negative things about the war. Yet this film was a very sympathetic portrayal of somebody who built machines that aided in the destruction and the, and the murdering of a lot of people, which is, that's okay that a film tackles somebody who does that, but it didn't tackle it in any way that made, that made, very effective statements on that to me. And I'm not saying that Miyazaki needs to make the film that I want him to make and that he needs to make all these grand statements, but it felt too pretty and too pastoral and too kind of uplifting. There are sad moments in the film for a film that's so intertwined and the loss of millions of lives or hundreds of thousands of lives, millions of lives is world war two. And it just, it left like a weird feeling in me. Um, and so thus it kind of made me wonder what, what, what is the local attitude surrounding World War II in Japan? 
Um, and the, it, it just didn't really seem like it cared about the tragedy of World War II in a lot of sense. Like there are moments where it's like war is bad. And there's that like that little saying in the beginning, I don't know what his classmate or something or like war is futile or whatever. And it's like, that's fine. You can say those things, but I don't feel like it showed me those things. And then as an extension of that, it's like even it didn't feel like there was a, a care for the tragedy of destruction in general. It's like that earthquake scene was one of the strangest scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. Like that was one of the most devastating things that's happened in Japan in terms of like how many people died. And yet it was very like filmed, very quiet. Like there was, it was so quiet and there's like walking around and it was long, but it didn't really, it made me uncomfortable. Cause I was like, this isn't how an earthquake would actually be. Like, we're not going to just like scuttle around. There'd be like absolutely no talking. And everyone was just like, not even talking, just kind of like walking around and thousands upon thousands of people died in that. And I just was kind of stuck in it. It felt out of place to me. So let's start there. I don't know. How mm-hmm. do you feel? About the earthquake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you just have... start with my, like, my viewpoints on like, it's, I mean, it is very much a place in World War II. Like it's throughout the entire thing. Yeah. I mean, you touched upon quite a few points. I mean, the first sort of point you brought up, there was a little bit of a sort of minor not controversy or backlash, but there, uh, yeah, there, there were discussions at the time about whether this film is, if not pro-war, then not delving enough into the, or not, not looking deeply enough at the impacts of what this person did, essentially. Like ignoring yeah. the fact that he, he created aircraft, which, you know, he didn't want it to be used for war, but he knew that it was going to be. Um, like very, he was very aware of it at the time. Something that, and that was more concerning to me, I think the first time I watched it, I think this time I was a little bit, I I could see the points where in the film where both the character and the film was sort of reckoning with that line between how do we sort of celebrate this sort of, these great feats of engineering and sort of of human human brain power to sort of create these things from, you know, this is a time where they're using, you know, pencils to create these things. You know, there's like, you know, very little in the way of sort of high tech machinery. They're just like putting things together with, you know, sheets and, you know, it's the fact like that they create, <laughs> I think the film does a good job in showing how difficult um, and impressive it was that these things were created. But yeah, it's a fine line between saying, Oh, well, that's a great thing. But then it's kind of ignoring, um, the cost of um, producing these things. And like, I mean, it, yeah, sorry. Go on. Well, and like that, what's so interesting about that to me too, is this, that and then we add in like, uh, and I, I'm, we're obviously going to have to touch on this, but we, we, we then add in like this weird love story, which it's like, so then there is like this desire to show tragedy and kind of like Jiro's obsession with being the best creator and the best engineer of flight and how that kind of got in his way of being with somebody. And I mean, she made choices on her own, but so there was like, there was a desire to kind of like have a tragic moment in it. And it was just so fascinating to me that it had to be this really kind of half baked level story that kind of mm-hmm. fell into the movie at some point. And yet your tragedy could be centered upon the fact that this man is creating these things of mass destruction. So that's another thing where I was like, okay, here's another love story that I just don't really believe in. 
Yeah. I mean, there were there were a few scenes, like I think there were some dream sequences where he was seeing sort of all the mm-hmm. destruction. And then at the mm-hmm. end, there's like the scene where <laughs> Caproni or whatever is like, yeah, no, nobody came back and everyone died. It is hel- it's done quite matter-of-factly, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you were complaining about with the um, earthquake as well. It seems quite like, oh, yeah, that happened. Um, and I, like- I don't know. I, I never had that issue with those scenes. I think people were just like, in shock and trying to like get home and see their families and stuff. I don't know. I d- it didn't really bother me in the sense that they weren't all screaming around crazy. Yeah. The, the, I can, def- I can see your points with how that character is sort of portrayed in a quite positive light. And there's, you know, he's not punished in any way for what he's done or like even like, yeah, emotionally, he's only the, the pain he experiences is from his wife dying who was dying the whole time anyway. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it yeah. does feel t- tacked on. Cause like I said, in the beginning, like the, the guy that is based on it didn't have a wife who died from tuberculosis. That's like another story that's kind of added to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does feel a little bit like, okay, this is act two kind of let's move things in a slightly different direction because it's kind of boring to watch a guy build a plane for two hours. Correct. And, and maybe it's, and maybe I'm being way too harsh and I like, and that, and that probably is. And that's, that's kind of why I brought up like, what are the local attitudes towards it? Cause mm-hmm. you know, I'm an American and we have a very, very negative attitude towards the war in general. And so, I mean, we, we like to, we like to, uh, what do you call it? Herald our war generals, people who ended the war. We like to celebrate those things. But in terms of the mass destruction of that, at least I had an upbringing that was like very, very negative towards that. And as I kind of started looking at some of the critical discourse around this film too, I noticed that like most of the people that were upset about it were like American film uh, critics, which was interesting to me. Do you prefer Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor to this film? (laughs) Absolutely not. Never seen it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, And I can't really answer those questions. Yeah. I think that it's, they have a complicated relationship with it. You know, you could, you, you know, I think we can talk, we could say the Germans are very like, uh, you know, they they accept how bad it was, but there's it's a little yeah. bit of a different, you know, I, I don't really, I can't really speak for how Germans feel on that. More in terms of my actual feelings of this movie, um, I liked it. This is the third time I watched it. Mm-hmm. The first time I would have seen it at the cinema, I think. I was like a little bit, I mean, this is his only real film that's kind of, set in the real world without yep. any sort of sense of a fantasy. And like you said, this is sort of the film that he feels like he would always wanted to make. And maybe that kind of, that attachment to it stopped, stopped him from creating, you know, maybe a more compelling narrative. I was a little bit, I found it a little bit cold compared to some of his other films. Um, I do like it quite a lot. Um, just in, I feel like there's a lot more to it. Like, I feel like it, it, it deepened on this rewatch in terms of the themes that it was trying to explore and telling sort of a very, you know, it's not a very interesting story, really. It's kind of, it's about a guy who likes to build planes and then he makes some planes. Like, but it's done, it feels like a, it feels like an epic movie. It's got like quite a wide scope. It's got the romance element to it. Um, and I think he does a good job at trying to, you know, yeah, create an epic out of a story about a guy who spends most of his time in a room drawing things. And, you know, obviously the, the animation is still amazing mm-hmm. as it always is. Um but yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not really a fan of biopics generally, uh, especially ones like this, which are very, it's a hagiography where it's like the guy is just like the most perfect person in the world. And then it's just going through his great deeds. Like yeah. it's, it's not really tackled um, as sort of a, 
a character who has lots of flaws and he's overcoming them or it's not even position. I mean, you kind of mention it, like there is a little bit of the sense that maybe his, his passion for the job stopped him from enjoying, you know, a life with his wife or whatever. There's a, there is a bit of that, but not that much. Like she just, she kind of dies quietly off screen. Yeah, you know, and, and I just, just and I just don't understand, but like, I get that it, it made him sad in the end, but I just don't know how it propelled him forward and i'm not saying that like that kind of sounds messed up to be like his wife dying has to make his character grow but i just in sense of like this was a film about this character and i was just curious of like like you said i did not know that uh that this was like kind of an autobiographical film i thought it was just a character that miyazaki had created himself and that it was kind of mashed up with like that other story so that kind of even makes me feel like my feelings are even more valid because it really just kind of feels like that. It feels like a mashup of two kind of disjointed stories and it just didn't feel, I don't know, I didn't care for the love story because I didn't really see what it added to it. There are very somber moments and there are moments that made me like feel feelings. But other than that, it felt like all it was meant to do was tug at my heartstrings, which was again, fascinating because the war in and of itself would tug at my heartstrings. Yet I'm, we're focusing on like this dying woman of tuberculosis. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was just to give, I mean, like kind of like I said, to a bit more variety to the story in, tel- in terms yeah. of the notes we were touching on, but then also a little bit, a few more shades into um, into this character, you know, to show that either that he has more interest than um, than just he's not asexual, things. yeah, <laughs> but but also, you know, to maybe look into you know that divide between sort of the personal and the professional and where he draws the line. And what, what his actual, where his actual interests lie, if it kind of, if in any way it does discuss that in those moments, in that like sort of in the part, like two thirds of the way through or halfway through where he kind of goes off and into the countryside for a while and just kind of does other things. It does feel a bit strange, like how there's like so much momentum in his sort of, you know, he goes to university, gets an education, he's getting better and better and better. And then he's like, oh, you need to leave, you need to leave town for a while. Then he does this and then he kind of gets back to it. I kind of forget exactly how it works, but that's how in, in my mind, like, <laughs> that's what happens. And like, it gets like really deep into it. It's like, oh yeah, go have a bit of a romance for a while. <laughs> Fall in love with this like 12 year old girl. I don't know. She, she's a lot younger than him, right? There was a little yeah. bit of an issue. Yeah. And then again, there's another part of that where I was just like, okay. <laughs> but I mean, not couldn't she have just not been? a lot younger like yeah, you know she just have not been like 11 12 when he met her like could she just have been i don't know yeah i don't know yeah and like some parts of the sort of romance worked for me i think especially towards the end there was a lot of sort of a lot of subtle scenes where they're just kind of like laying next to each other and his work is there you know or he's like he's like sleeping and she's like putting a little um thing over him but the very beginning like there were a lot of sort of meet cute type incidents where like she keeps losing her hat she keeps falling off things almost she's always about to fall off something or her umbrella is flying away i'm like who is this hopeless person who can't like stop almost oh no she saves his hat right okay whatever but like and he almost falls too like yeah there's very neat cutie things and he falls into the bush it's like it's very it's like people doing stupid clumsy things who can't stand up straight kind of there's a lot of that i was like i don't have time for this Once, once it deepens, um, I think it's quite 
quite affecting the last sort of few scenes where they're together and like and even the scene where they get married um you know it's all done very quietly um Mm -hmm. and i think like even the scenes of her like coming back like on the train or leaving on the train like that was a very effective scene to me like her telling them that she's just going to go do something and then she cleaned out her entire room i was like oh that's she's just like gonna go die now yeah when she walks up to the sanitarium or sanatorium whatever it is but i do feel that the film drags to me a little bit once it moves to the countryside um, and he mm-hmm. meets uh, Nahoko, I think her name is, again. So it's kind of like, maybe it adds something. Maybe it sort of, yeah, stops it from being a little bit too about a man with a passion for drawing things. Like, you know, there, there aren't that many significant female characters. The only other one would be the sister, I guess, who I like. She was kind of a bit sassy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very masculine driven movie a lot more than basically any other film he's done which which tend to focus if not purely on female um, protagonists then at least like half and half but but basically base every other one is a you know at least a 60 percent female protagonist i would say so yeah this is it's an interesting departure i still think it's a good movie technically but it didn't i'm a little bit more cold to it than some of these others and i wouldn't watch it again as immediately just because I don't find the story as engaging, but I do find it quite interesting that, you know, he's finally getting like, this is the, this is his, like, you know, the one he wanted to do that, you know, he sort of waited for a while to do. And obviously he's going to probably make more. I don't well, know how far he is with this other one, but seems like he's going to do more. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, that's interesting to me. It's like, this was his final film and, and kind of place it in the context of being the film that he always wanted to make. And now it's like, and I mean, this movie got incredible uh, praise. Like the critical mm. reception of this film is like much greater than what I anticipated, especially when I was writing it myself. But um, the <laughs> were you aware before watching it, or you read no. about it after? Afterwards, That's good. oh yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, it's so easy to let other people's words influence your own thoughts. So it's like yeah. I have to do my my due diligence not to <laughs> do that. I mean, that's something I can't do. Yeah, because I've you know I'm. I'm too aware of how these films mm-hmm. are presented. As well. I mean, I, obviously I have my own opinions, but I can't, you can't really separate that from the critical reception. Like, I mean, his whole character is based around that idea of, um, I forget who says it. I think Caproni says it maybe, or someone else says it. Um, you know, would you want to live in a world without the pyramids? Like, what, what is your thought on that? Just on that idea? Are we, uh, how do you view that idea? Are you viewing that idea of like, would you want to live in a world without flying machines? Because flying machines are what we've used to like kill people in the war. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, but like, or just like these great wonders. Like, would you want to live well, in I mean, a world I, without challenging, like engineering challenges and like being thrust I guess forward? the idea is that the like slaves were used to make those things. And Correct. like, there's a lot of, you know, pain that went into it and it, you know, didn't, it led to like not great things, but it's, it's an amazing wonder, you know, is, mm-hmm. you know, is it worth it, you know, from an artistic or structural engineering, engineering perspective? Well, and I think that that's, that's, where, what, that's, that's what the argument is, I guess. In the no, movie. totally. No, it, it is. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, like, that's what I was comparing it to. I just wanted to like, yeah. you know, verify if that's your interpretation of it. Well, um, it, I think that the film is definitely, I don't want to act like it doesn't act like the war mattered at all. Because it did, and there are moments, there are subtle moments where it talks about it, and there's and there are very like definitive statements against it. 
Um, I guess it's just not as, I guess for a film that's all about the construction of you know fighter pilots and kamikaze planes and things like that, I guess I'm just like, I, w- I wanted a little bit more nuance surrounding the consequences of cr- creating that. And so it's not that for me, there's all, you can look at all of human history and there are a lot of things that propelled us forward that were built off the blood, sweat and lives of other humans. And so I'm not God and I won't, I won't like, I can't change that, but it doesn't make it right. I just act like it. (laughs) Do my best. Yeah. I mean, personally, I can do without the pyramids. I mean, they're not really doing much for me. (laughs) I was going to say they're whatever. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) I mean, probably helps the economy in that country. Um, it's a movie about himself as well. Cause I mean, he's, he is that same kind of perfectionist who has, you know, certainly, I mean, if you know anything about his relationship with his son, who is also, you know, the director who we've discussed his two movies as well, he's like a very hard taskmaster. His like obsession is with creating sort of perfect art at the expense of the people he works with, um, which, you know, the, the guy who directed um, Whisper of the Heart, you know, both, I think, um, Miyazaki was often, was accused basically of working him to death kind of, because, you know, he died while they were producing Mononoke. So, I mean, he's definitely, I mean, you know, being a tough place to work in animate movies is not the same as building, you know, things that killed people in the war. But he's, he's definitely talking about, you know, what, what are the impacts of obsession and, you know, what is the cost of great art and what is, you know, what is worth it and what's not worth it. So whether, I guess it, how he handles it is based on how self-reflective he is and how willing he is to challenge. Um, he, he, you know, it seems like he comes down on the side of great art is great art. You know, if it, if there's a bit of a cost, then, you know, maybe that's something we need to bear. But, um, you know, it's, I think the film becomes more interesting when you sort of compare it to, you know, when you put him in the sort of protagonist seat, do you, do you relate it at all to him in that way? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can. I think that, I think that, I think it would be hard pressed to find anyone who couldn't relate to kind of, even if you just related to that kind of idea on a very, very minimalistic level of maybe some of the actions that I've taken have hurt others or like, you know, stepped on people's feelings in order to propel myself. And, and, and so I think that, I think you, like I said, I think you'd be very hard pressed to find anyone. And I do think that that is one of the biggest strengths of this movie is, is playing with that idea and but i just don't think that i think it gets lost in some of the minutiae of that love relationship and i guess i wanted more well let's talk about um the visuals of the film how do you think that sits um amongst the films he's done before do you think more of the same do you think it goes back i mean obviously the film he did before was ponyo which was very different do you feel that this is again different or similar to you know, House Moving Castle and Spirited Away, or it sort of created its own visual language? I think, I mean, A, I mean, it'd just be like very simple, but I think it was just as beautiful. Um, I think that one of the things that I, th- I found interesting, and this is, I only realized this like a little while after watching the film was, I guess I was, I was less caught up in the, the beauty of the film because it wasn't a fantasy. I think I was, I think I, I realized one of my, some of my favorite things about Miyazaki's animation was that he, a lot of the time he played with the like fantastical elements, otherworldly things within his films, and the way in which he 
animated those was was very fascinating to me. And so it's like like you just brought up Ponyo, like underneath the water and like all the the sea creatures like going along the road or whatever, and like that stuff was always the things that stuck out. Well, stuck out to me. Um, this movie, I did, although it's very visually beautiful and there are like very many sequences of flying that are um, beautiful. I didn't walk away with being like, oh, here's 11 shots that I remember specifically. And like, I'm going to walk away and remember these forever. And I think that that's just because it was based in reality. I also, oh, I have to preface this. I hate World War II movies. I know this wasn't like all about war. It was more about, you know, a guy creating war machines, but like, I'm so sick and tired of people making films about World War II. There are a freaking million and I try to steer clear away from them as much as possible. I've seen a million World War II movies. There are a lot more other images that are founded in reality and like that are, have been filmed other than animated that stick in my mind other than this film. I mean, mm. I'm going to remember Saving Private Ryan's scene on the beach from Steven Spielberg way more than I'm ever going to remember anything from this film. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's not really pre- presenting scenes totally. that, are that you know exhilarating. Um, I mean, I think even beyond not not sort of showcasing, you know, fantastical elements on the screen. I think he's also, you know, creating a world that is not naturally attractive. Like a lot of it is set in those sort of big bunkers where they're all working on, you know, on like a, you know, in cities and towns, which, you know, he doesn't get to, I mean, there's a little bit of it when, you know, they go into the country and there's the, you know, and then when later when she's in the sanitarium, sanatorium, um, but he can't like indulge his love of like pretty flowers by the lake kind of thing. Like there's a little bit of that, but I mean this, because a lot of it is sort of indoors or sort of in urban settings, there's a little, the, the, that the, those aesthetic choices that he can usually make to sort of pretty up a film um, aren't there. But it's kind of why I think a lot of those um, dream sequences exist just to add a little bit more visual flair <laughs> to a movie that would be a little bit dry visually otherwise. And I don't know, I kind of, I think when I first saw it, I was like a bit disappointed that he couldn't sort of just go straight as like tell the story in a sort of a very straight way. And he was sort of reliant on his old tricks of, you know, creating these sort of, you know, lush landscapes and sort of cool sort of fantastical visual ideas um, that he sort of presents through those sort of dream sequences. And like, I do wonder if those sequences were there because he wanted to establish his dreams in a literal way by actually showing his dreams um, or because he just wanted to, you know, get, get sort of more varied aesthetics into a film that's sort of grounded in sort of an urban environment. And I was like, mm, I wish he could just kind of tell that story more straightforwardly and see how he could go without the fantasy. But, you know, ultimately the fantastical elements, um, I think a lot of the more interesting um, visual details are in those. I agree. Do you have um, any favorite shots or sequences from this film? Yeah, ironically enough, just to jump right off of what you just said, my favorite shot is from one of his dream sequences, and it's him standing on top of the plane with his like person inspiring him. And, like I just love that that visual of the the horizon and it's very mm. the, and the sun and all that is very very pretty. My favorite sequence <laughs> was him like almost falling off that building, like. I don't know why him <laughs> stepping, like stepping off that ledge or like him falling, like stepping on that ledge, just like snaps it completely off. I was like, what a poorly designed porch. <laughs> the the paper airplane scene. Uh, yeah. 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 
but that was probably my favorite sequence. Why you? is it your, Why is it your favorite sequence? Because I wanted uh, him falling. <laughs> and it just seems so stupid to me. Like, why would that 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 poor? How was that like, your favorite that? sequence then? You hate love it. Well, I hate love it. Yeah, I was okay. like, what the hell? Okay, um, my favorite shot. It's it's basically the one shot that I remembered vividly from the previous times I've watched it, which was like the very quick sort of cutaway to the wife kind of like bleeding from the face, basically when he sort of finds out that oh, yeah. his wife is sick, she's like painting and she's like, it's like a very quick shot. And so it's like very, like it's very graphic, but also like very like, Oh my God, it really like, it feels kind of like something that would be in um, grave of the fireflies or something. Uh, it's like jarring. I yeah. It's about very that, jarring. And I was just like, Oh wow. That's, you know, it's taking this very seriously. Um, her sickness. I'm just like, I don't know. I just, it's just an image that's sort of imprinted in my brain. I just find it very like horrifying and beautiful at the same time. Uh, Sequence wise, I don't know. I can't really go past the earthquake. I think that was kind of, it's very sort of like, it's done really quickly, but incredibly impressive from a visual perspective. Visually very (laughs) impressive. I I couldn't agree more. I just, it just felt so strange. Like the mise-en-scene of it, the music behind it, there's like no diegetic sounds. Like there would be Mm. so much more diegetic or non, yeah. Yeah, I was <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like diegetic. Di- yeah, there would be so much more. Like, to be honest, we. I mean, I totally interrupted you. I'll let you get back to yourself in a no. second. But w- what? Three days into like the global shutdown because of the pandemic, we had an earthquake here in Salt Lake City, and like having lived not as devastating, obviously, but having lived through an earthquake that woke me up out of my bed at seven thirty in the morning, and having experienced that, I guess I'm watching that film, and I was just like, this is done in a very strange way there's a lot of noise and there's like a lot of commotion afterwards and there's just nothing in that film they're all just kind of scuffling along and i'm like what okay i've already talked about it i don't need to talk about it anymore but i'll let you finish talking about why you love it (laughs) um no i didn't have anything no it's like not necessarily my favorite in terms of how it plays um but just like that initial one minute like there's kind of like a weird sort of like supernatural like lightning crack out of nowhere and it's like you know it feels almost like it's going to be a like a dream sequence kind of thing but then you sort of see the you know the the world sort of rise and fall um before them i think it's just like very um it's a very impressive sequence obviously would have taken much of the animator's time i think in the film my other scene which i maybe i prefer maybe from an emotional perspective is it's the scene where it's a scene where she dies basically, but he just kind of feels that something is wrong. Like yeah. he's testing out the, fl- the plane and it's, it's a success. I think it's like the most successful um, test of this plane. And as it lands, the sound just kind of cuts out and he kind of looks away. Cause he like, I mean, obviously it doesn't make any sense. Like how is he going to know? But he just, like, <laughs> there's something in him that kind of, I mean, that's, that's what tells us she's dead. We don't really, I don't think we really mm. know. Um, it's just like, they had a connection. Quite, quite powerfully done. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah. He likes, yeah, he can connect with young, young girls. Yeah, he has a, yeah, he has a sixth sense. Let's uh, get into the ratings based on our uh, Miyazaki criteria. So these mm-hmm. five criteria were rating out of two. Um, and at the end, we'll have a rating out of 10 based on how much of a traditionally Miyazaki film this one is. So, I mean, we kind of discussed this. Um, in the in the ways that it's not already um, with the strong and complex female characters, but what did you give that out of two? I'd give it a zero. I I had one, but I was I was 
tossing up between zero and one. I mean, this is probably the only, I don't know what I gave Porco Rosso, but this is, this is the lowest essentially mm-hmm. I would give it. It's, you know, there are definitely World War II films that have like no women in them. Totally. And there's, you know, there's an effort obviously to insert a female character as well as try to give, you know, his sister maybe a little bit more like a spunk similar to what a character in one of his films would be. That's true. Um, it's not a lot though. Um, and one is like, it's like just a one for me. It, it, it could have been zero, but I was like, oh, you know, give him credit for doing the bare minimum. I suppose. <laughs> um, it's also, I think, quite a non-Miyazaki film in, in how it sort of discusses the environment. I mean, obviously environmental concerns can cover a lot of things, but I, I mean, in terms of how we traditionally discuss it, I gave that a zero as well. Same here. There's not yeah. like a lot going on with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think we need to say anything about uh, flying machines or flight. I think we'll zero, definitely. Zero, yeah. <laughs> no, so two for both, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the power of love. I mean, again, this has always been quite a nebulous one, but I gave it a two, and I don't remember exactly why. Um, I guess because you know, I mean, the second half of the film is devoted to his two loves, I suppose, this woman and um, his passions. Yeah, for, I was actually just going to say that myself. And it drives well, him. Yeah, sorry. You go ahead. Try, say yeah, something. Yeah, just, yeah, let me cut into you again a million times. Well, you just talked about his, like, how he felt her die. There's like, There was, like, some love mm-hmm. connection there. So I agree. I give it a two. And um, appearance of water in in the sense of boats, islands, rivers, etc. I gave that a zero. I mean, there are maybe some shots of lakes and they there's like a boat that they boat ride he goes on with his sister on the water i don't and it's not enough for me to consider i agree i agree i give it a zero like there was nothing that like those moments are the ones that were standing out to me it was all about flight to me yeah so i gave it a five and i think you gave it a four correct so it it, it, it's funny because you know it it feels like a very miyazaki movie but in many ways it feels very un-miyazaki which is you know where it's interesting Mm mm-hmm Oh, so now I'm going to try to guess your actual score for the movie. And I don't know. I thought you would like this a lot more. So I'm a bit, I can't quite. Okay, you said it's your least favorite. I don't know. You gave Porco Rosso like 5-5 five, five or 5. So five? <laughs> Yeah, I gave it a 5. Yep. You got it dead oh. on. <laughs> what do you? I will, probably, maybe I was in the mood when I watched this film. Like you said, maybe I'm, it's just me being like a, a dick and like over over intense that was me saying that maybe it is me being a dick and maybe i need to revisit it but that first that first time watching it eh, five i think that you gave it a i think you gave it a 7.5 i gave it an eight okay that's close it's a low eight it's a low eight (laughs) you know how i it's either a low eight or a high eight so Uh um so that's a 13 out of 20 for me and a nine out of 20 for you so yeah not, not, not great. Not um, great. I didn't really have any notes for connections because this feels like very much its own movie with its own specific sort of interests that are more about Miyazaki himself than his sort of the interest he generally has in his movies, apart from the flying element. But what did did you have any sort of connection notes? No, I um, other than I think that that is the the interesting connection is is that this is very unlike his other films. So I think that, like that was what I was going to talk about. Um, other than like there's like a small minor connection to like Grave of the Fireflies, it being another war film and but handled in a very different way. And you know my love for that film, so um, maybe that that was a, a foreshadowing. Maybe my my lackluster love for this film 
because they're just handled in two very different ways. And I tend to be more drawn to those character and those like very emotionally driven films. Anywho. Um, there's not but, dead children in this movie. Yeah, there's not enough dead children in this movie. I can't handle it. And, uh, <laughs> but no, I thought that was the number one thing that I was thinking about the entire time was how, how much I knew he wanted to make this movie, but how uh, very different it felt like from all of his other movies, because all of his other movies were very, very more, much more in the context of a fantasy. I mean, and yeah, you could say this was like a less fun version of Porco Rosso kind of, um, in terms of it's, it, that's the, the, the biggest connection in terms of a very, a largely male sort of point of view and, you know, the obsession with flying and a sort of very isolated person with, with vague romantic um, notions on the side. But yeah, apart from that, it, it feels quite alone. Um, like it, it doesn't feel like it's not one of his films, but it also, oh, yeah, totally. it, it stands alone in his oeuvre. Um, well, okay. So I think we're done with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you next time when we discuss, <laughs> I said that weirdly. I'll talk to you next time when we discuss the tale of princess Kaguya. See ya. Bye-bye.